0: Uh, We are going to be in uh, lots of passages today. We're in a series called Abe to Dave, Abraham, Father Abraham to King David. And we're going to talk about uh, King David uh, with each other uh, today. Uh, I wasn't able to be here last week. I'm so grateful for my friend Paul right here uh, teaching on Judges, uh, getting us connected to the Father's heart. I want to talk about that with you again today today. Um, my daughter Ellie right here, as she is 18, she's off to Grand Canyon, and uh, we, had a, um, we, had a, uh, we had a daddy-daughter uh, trip back to Tennessee. Uh, this is where we went, uh, this, is, oh, 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 oh. this is where I grew up, Gladeville, Tennessee, it's about 30 minutes from Nashville, so we got time on the farm. Uh, let me tell you, my dad put me to work. Um, someone told me earlier this summer: summer when you work with your your brain and your heart, you rest with your hands. And I think somebody told my dad that, so he put me to work. It was a wonderful uh, trip uh, visiting and helping him. A highlight of the trip: Ellie and I got to go see Hamilton, which was epic. Anybody see Hamilton in the room? Uh, we have been listening to this for years. Ellie, especially in our family, kind of drives the Hamilton train. Uh, the first song, like Alex- Alexander Hamilton, he comes out like. Whoa, whoa. How many times did you cry in the show? <laughs> Only, three. Only three. Only three. That was it. Uh, we had a great trip, but I missed being here, so I'm I'm grateful to be back with you uh, today. Um, I want to show you a picture just to just for fun, just to teach you a little bit about Southern culture. Uh, my niece is a singer-songwriter and was playing in this little um, bar uh, it, near Opryland Hotel. And so we go in to this uh, little gift shop and uh, got, some, got some, you know, gifts from Nashville and this was two postcards that I thought I just would educate you guys. So like you in the South means you, it's one, but y'all is more than one, it's two. But there's this thing that you might not know, like all y'all is like more than two, it's like three plus. So just so you know, I didn't buy these cards, but that's actually true. So. This gathering is all y'all, right? That's, it's, we're just having a fellowship time together, all y'all and me and us. Uh, and then bless your heart. Like I've preached on this, not preached on it, but I've like invited you into this before. Uh, if you're from the South, uh, you know this is true. Um, it, just means, it, just, it just means you poor stupid idiot <laughs> in a kind of Southern kind way. So like I, last Sunday, I went to the church that I grew up in I'm looking at Jeff. We were swapping stories of churches we grew up in in our men's group on Thursday morning. And um, uh, this elderly lady that literally watched me grow up, uh, she comes up to me and she's like, oh, Jason, like, when are you coming home? Like, you've been gone long enough. And I was like, well, um, we're pastoring a church in Fort Collins. We're going to be there probably for a long time. And she just looked at me and she goes, well, bless your heart so classic, so classic. Anyway, King David. Bless his heart. Highs and lows, right? We're going to get into the life of King David today. I mean, what did you say last week, Paul? Like you had, what, one minute for a decade, for 400 years, uh, trying to do a 40-minute message on King David. Uh, I'm just going to give you a little taste. I mean, Lindsay did a BSF study years ago, and she has a binder on King... We could do a year sermon series on King David. Uh, I'm going to just give you um, some landing points that I hope will be helpful for you in your journey. But we think about like King David, so many well-known stories. Maybe one of the most well-known like Old Testament biblical narrative stories is David and Goliath. All right, so we have that, that story and that scene. We have David's relationship with King Saul after the period of Judges... Paul uses Samuel, the priest, uh, anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. And then David gets anointed as king after Saul. And that whole dynamic of what happens with King David coming after King Saul, that's a big part of the narrative story. Um, Saul's first daughter, Michael, and that story when uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which carried the very presence of God into Jerusalem and David is like dancing with his might before the Lord you know that story and Michael his wife is like uh, in like up above it she's looking through a window and it says that she despised David in her heart why because he was basically acting a fool like he was dancing without all of his like kingly regalia and he just was just up and down the aisles you know and he said this famous statement, oh, basically, you haven't seen anything yet. Like, I will be even more undignified than that because the joy that I feel is so palpable for me in bringing the presence of God back to Zion. Uh, with that story, uh, oh gosh, uh, David and the story of Bathsheba and her, and her husband Uriah, we'll talk about that a little bit today. David and his relationship with, um, with Jonathan and his relationship with Nathan David and his relationship with his son, specifically Saul. So, I mean, just no way to cover this in one message. Um, and my hope today and my prayer this week has been that what God has put on my heart to share with you, kind of four main things, that there would just be a curiosity and a hunger and a desire stirred in you to take the, the limited time we have this morning and go and read and study and and experience uh, and encounter God in his word uh, on your own. Um, one of the things that I have loved about this series, God's salvation history to his people Israel. Right? We, we have been talking about this week after week, um, the foundation for understanding and learning and appreciating and being thankful for the liberating truths of the new covenant that Jesus came to give us and inaugurated um, for us by his blood The foundation for that is the Old Testament and these stories that we have been talking about week after week. And something that we have been noticing every week, no matter who was up here speaking, is this. God is always faithful to his promises. Like, even when Israel proves faithless, God always proves faithful to his promises. The Father's heart, last week, Paul sharing with us, is to meet us in that place and deliver us and redeem us and restore us and reconcile us and and give us mercy and and hope and forgiveness in our lives. Um, Here's a verse from Joshua, just uh, his perspective on the faithfulness of God. Uh, Not one of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. When you think about uh, the promises of God or the faithfulness, the faithfulness of God to its promises, a, a, a biblical word that I want you to connect to promises is the word covenant. And throughout the series, we have been uh, looking uh, at um, lots of different stories, uh, but three specific covenants uh, have come out in our, in our series this summer, and I want to i talk with you about those three, those three covenants, but before we get there, here's Deuteronomy 7, 9. and speaking about covenant and the word promise and connecting it to covenant. Um, know, therefore, Moses says, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love, his promise of love, his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And the three covenants that we have seen in the series that I just want to briefly talk with you about because we're getting into King David today and the Davidic covenant. Um, first, the Abrahamic covenant. And if, if you think of the Abrahamic covenant, the word that I want you to connect to Abraham is family. Um, that God chose a family to bless the nations. So the Abrahamic covenant really is about family, chosen Family. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and God credited that to him as righteousness. Uh, We will talk about this next week as we wrap the series next week. Chosen family, chosen nation, chosen people that we have been grafted in. And Paul in the book of Galatians will take us all the way back to Abraham. This promise to bless a family. Um, Genesis 17, 17. The call of Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, and that he believed God, and so we are invited to believe God, and it also is credited to us as righteousness as well. So the Abrahamic covenant is a family covenant, Mosaic covenant. When you think of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, the word there is legal or law. God gave his perfect legal law specifically and solely to Israel, the transition between a chosen family, Abraham, to a chosen nation, Israel. Um, Here's Exodus 24-7. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded. Hear how they responded to this. We will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. That didn't go over real, real well. They weren't able to keep the perfect law. Which is, the perf- which is the purpose of the perfect law. Paul says this in Galatians 2, that the purpose of the perfect law of God, the holy righteous standard of God, the reason that God put the covenant of law in charge was to lead us to Christ. So, so that we would recognize our inability to keep God's perfect standard, and we would call on a savior. And by the way, his name is Jesus the Christ, our Messiah. The Davidic covenant is the promise of that Messiah. So Abraham, Moses, covenant of law. The Davidic covenant is the promise of that Messiah. So when you think Davidic covenant, the word to connect there is Messiah. The the coming Messiah would be a direct bloodline descendant of David and would someday sit on the throne of God, ruling forever and ever. That's in 2 Samuel 7 Uh, chapter, or verse 16 says, your your house to David and your kingdom will endure forever. So the Davidic covenant is a promise of a coming Messiah. Uh, Jesus in the New Testament was called the son of David, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant 17 times. The son of David. In fact, in in Matthew chapter 1, that's where it begins. That's where Matthew chapter 1 begins. So we have these three covenants, and, and we're talking about the Davidic covenant today in the life of King David. And I, again, I said, I made that transition. Bless his heart. Uh, we see an anointed, an anointed leader, for sure, gifted, courageous, warrior, and yet a very flawed human being that by the sovereignty and the grace and the mercy of God that God used him for incredible purposes. Um, we see great faith and great victory, and we see Great failure. Um, I think we can learn a lot, a lot, from looking at David's life and realizing uh, how God restored him uh, over and over and over again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach uh, on four kind of flyover details. Um, four. It'll be pretty quick, uh, and then at the end, I'm gonna preach. So I just want you, I just want you to be prepared for that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach, and then I'm going to preach. You ready for that, Kelly? Okay, I see you. You're giving me courage to preach. Um, And um, again, maybe the Holy Spirit will connect you in some way to all four of these flyover details. Uh, Maybe there's really one that is for you today, but I've been praying that at least one of these things will be really uh, something that the Holy Spirit um, is ministering to you in today. So, Let me teach through these four points, um, and then we'll get to the preaching at the end. Um, Number one, God looks looks at the heart. Um, David was a very unlikely choice by the world standard from a human perspective to be the anointed king of God's chosen people, Israel. Number one, he was anointed when he was in middle school. I mean that's kind of strange. I, mean, I love middle school kids, but they're a little squirrely, right? Um, but that's when he was anointed. It's probably between like the time he was like 12 or 16. That's unlikely when he when God chose him over Israel. And he looked different. Like he and we're going to see this in the text. There was something specific about David that's like he doesn't fit the mold of who we would think might be chosen to be the king of Israel really um familiar passage i do want to read this though so if you have your bibles turn to first samuel 16 we're going to read some passages from first samuel 16 and then chapter 17 and chapter 18 uh, as we work through these uh, initial four points but let me read the story uh, of when samuel the priest anoints david at a very young age to be the king over israel so the lord said to samuel How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king, Bethlehem. You connect in the dots. Every story whispers his name. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, did you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then, he, and then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited him to sacrifice. And so when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height. Obviously, a really good appearance, and probably tall, and strong, and buff, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at, and here's this famous phrase, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, what's on the inside, and then Jesse called Abinadab, and had him pass in front of Samuel but Samuel said the Lord has not chosen this one either and then Jesse had Shema pass by but Samuel said nor has the Lord chosen this one and Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel but Samuel said to him the Lord has not chosen these so he asked Jesse are these all the sons you have there is still the youngest Jesse answered but he is tending the sheep Samuel said send for him and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in and he was ruddy. David was ruddy. Do you know what ruddy means? It means reddish. Most likely David had red hair. Like he was a redhead, most likely. To which Greg Hook, my friend, who is ruddy, gave a hearty amen in the last service. Uh, But he was... Like he was different than what you would expect, like he looked different. There was another person that's pretty famous in the story of what we've been working through this summer, anybody else know who was described as ready in the Old Testament? Esau, right? So David just simply means this, like David probably didn't fit the stereotype of who might be the the next king. And so he was ready, but it does say, with a fine appearance and handsome features, so a. Pretty good-looking red-headed dude. And then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. God doesn't look at outward appearance. God looks at what's inside our hearts. For humanly speaking, as the text says, probably would have been Eliab, the oldest. Like the oldest, he seemed to be maybe the tallest, maybe he was the strongest, uh, tall, dark and handsome, who knows, but he probably would have been the choice. But God's choosing David was by his own favor and his own grace. So he chooses David, he anoints David, and so David at a very young age uh, comes into the king's service, King Saul, and it went over pretty well initially. Initially, Saul took pleasure in David. Uh, but as David's, like, as he grew and as he fought battles and he raised up his warriors, uh, his fame and his stature grew, and then Saul became really jealous and became murderous to David. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, so God looks at the heart, point one. Number two, do not lose heart. If God looks at the heart, this, this importance of heart Today is kind of where I'm wanting to focus us And David makes this famous statement When he's facing Goliath And he says do not lose heart And he says this to Israel And they're afraid of the Philistines And the giants and the land And he makes this statement in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 32 He says let no one lose heart On account of this Philistine Your servant will go and fight Will go and fight him And this is further along. Read with me verses 45 to 47. In this famous story, David, this young shepherd boy who's the, the anointed king, he says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. To which I go, he wasn't messing around. And he's a little guy, right? You wouldn't choose him, but God chose him. But there was something, there was something on the inside of him that took courage to the degree that he looks at Goliath and he says, I'm going to cut your head off right here, right now. And I go, I'm on a hike when I'm younger. Jackson was little. And we're back in Tennessee. And Jackson always carried sticks. He's probably five. And part of that had to do with Star Wars and Darth Maul. So he always had a stick. So we're on this hike and we come up on this Little embankment, and it was like a, you could see that it was like a little cave. You know, I'm a dad. I'm like, Dad Jackson, stop. What if there, what if there are monsters in there? And he goes, I will cut their heads off. <laughs> and he had a stick, and I was like, with what? And he goes, he goes with my cuddle awful thing right here. And I'm just like, I don't know why he had courage. Thank you, Randy. Why he had that kind of courage, but he did. And I think it's because he knew that I was with him. That his dad was with him. And knowing that I was with him gave him courage to be like, I got my stick. And I'll cut their heads off. And I see, I see that in this in this story here, like I'm going to cut your head off. Today I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he, he will give all of you into our hands. Like, do you think that David, like, King Saul, like, wanted to give David, you remember the story, I'm not going to read all these verses, but, like, he wanted to give David, like, all the, like, the armor and all the things, and he was, like, shedding all that stuff. And we, we know the story, like, he took out some stones, and he had his sling, and he had that, but really, what gave him courage? It wasn't in himself. It wasn't in, in his ability. His courage was about who was with him. Verse 45, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Verse 47, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. His courage in the fight was who was with him, El Shaddai. And I I, I wonder, and I really think this is true, that the stories of Joshua came to David. Like Joshua and Caleb, Israel had just come through the Red Sea, right? And they get to the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies in. You know the story. And 10 of them were all afraid. Oh, there's giants in the land. We're grasshoppers. We're going to die. Ah, oh, let's go back to slavery. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, no, the Lord will give us this land. We believe. We believe in the promises. And we believe who is with us. I believe that David had probably this in his mind and heart when he was facing the giant Goliath. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God looks at the heart. And do not lose heart. Thirdly, we need heart-to-heart connections and the fight of our faith. We need comrades. We need sisterhood. We need Brotherhood in the fight of faith. Uh, Saul's son was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David became a deeply, deeply connected in brotherhood. And when I think about Jonathan, two character traits really, for me, rise to the surface really quickly. Jonathan was so loyal to David, and he was so incredibly humble we think about Jonathan like his dad was Saul and in his jealousy toward David like Saul wanted to murder David and Jonathan protected his friend from the pursuit of his dad trying to kill his friend it's remarkable the loyalty and we think about this like from a worldly perspective when you're when you're the firstborn son and your dad is the king guess who gets to be the next king You are the rightful heir. But Jonathan submitted what was rightfully his from a world's perspective to the supernatural anointing of David to be the king. I mean, the humility in Jonathan's life is just remarkable. He was totally selfless. Here's a little window in um, 1 Samuel 18, first four verses. Uh, David had finished talking with Saul and Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself and from that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself and Jonathan the imagery here okay Jonathan took off the robe He was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And he gave it to David. This is deep brotherhood and togetherness. This is loyal friendship and this is incredible humility. And David needed it. Like he's saying, don't lose heart, but... I don't know that I don't know that David literally survives Saul without his friend Jonathan in his life. We need heart-to-heart connections. Fourthly, David was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. This is how Samuel is describing David, a man after God's own heart, which is very beautiful and very wonderful to think about, but we think about the life of David, certainly anointed, but also broken, very much in process, great victory and great failure. The highs of highs in David's life received his anointing, the story of David and Goliath, um, patiently waiting for God's sovereign plan to unfold. Um, He raises up an army to fight battles. David was a warrior, a courageous warrior, for Israel, He raises up a mighty army. His famous, my, the mighty men of David. 37 mighty men. And he's waiting before the Lord to get instructions before he goes into battle. He also showed loyalty to his friend Jonathan in his life. It went both ways. Um, during David's reign, after Saul and Jonathan had both died, uh, David sought out anyone who remained in Jonathan's family that he could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Um, the highs of lies, but also the lows of lows. Like David, he struggled, and he made huge mistakes. Like Second Samuel chapter 11, like a man after God's own heart. He sees Bathsheba bathing in Jerusalem, not his wife, not his wife. Pursues her. And by the way, like, when you're the king, you don't get to refuse the king. This is on David. This is all on David. Like Bathsheba, you don't refuse the king. Adultery, pregnant. Her husband, Uriah, did you know this? Uriah is one of the 37. David had 37 mighty men. Uriah is in his inner circle. I'm going to bring Uriah back. He'll be with his wife. He'll think it's his child. But Uriah has so much integrity and honor, he will not leave his men on the battlefield. And so David puts him on the front line, assuring his death. David, you guys, David was an adulterer and a murderer. But he's a man after God's own heart. How do we we reckon with this? How do we wrestle with this? Where's redemption? For these kind of stories. And it is only, it is only in the Father's heart. It is only in the Father's heart to give mercy on mercy. To bring grace on grace. To bring restoration and healing again and again and again and again. Um, David, I don't know if you know this, David wrote half of the Psalms. 73 for sure, maybe more. There's 150 total. And every single psalm, there's lots of things. When you read all the psalms of David, there are, there are, there are, there are lots of things in there to, to glean from, but every single psalm of David, every single one is written in the pursuit and in desperation and in the worship of God. Like every single one. And so I, what I want to do is I want to read through Psalm 51 to give you a window in to what does it look like to be after the Father's heart? Because I think so, so much when we, when we think about, oh, what does it mean to be a woman after God's own heart or a man after God's own heart? We're so prone to think about our behavior, our good obedience, or our good works, and that's what it means. And what it means is to fall on the mercy of God. That's what it means. To be a woman after God's heart, to be a man after God's heart is to disconnect your behavior from the relationship and to center it solely on the abounding, radical, scandalous mercy and grace of God, period, period. And that was David, and he was a mess, an adulterer and a murderer, and that's what we see. By the way, um, Psalm 51 is written uh, after Nathan the prophet confronts David's sin. So we have the relationship that David had with Jonathan. We need heart-to-heart connections. But we also see a relationship between David and the prophet Nathan. And David, David's friend Nathan had the courage, and I would say the love, to confront David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And that's a good friend, by the way, it's a really good friend. Proverbs 27, 6, better are the wounds of a friend than the kiss of an enemy. And so he gets confronted by Nathan and he writes Psalm 51. I want to read the first um, five verses of Psalm 51. If If you want to get a window in, what does it look like to be after God's heart? This will give you a window. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, and you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a a pure heart or create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Any of you guys that grew up in the 80s and 90s, do you remember that song? Even if you're younger, maybe you might know that song based on Psalm 51. Uh, What do we see in this song? What do we see about what it looks like to be after the heart of God? Um, Well, we see David's personal ownership. We see him take personal ownership for what he has done. And we certainly see David's faith and trust in God to forgive, redeem by his mercy and grace. Like, if you, if you forgive me, I will, I will be whiter than snow. Desperate for the mercy and the grace of God. That is, what, that is what it means to be after God's heart. Take the focus off of yourself, put the focus on the Father's heart Toward you, and the Father's heart, again and again and again, will come in mercy and grace to restore. The rest of the story of David, briefly, is is this: um, God promised David a bloodline descendant from from himself to rule forever, the Messiah. Uh, again, that's Second Samuel seven and King Solomon. Was David's son that was the anointed next king. Um, do you remember who Solomon's mother was? Anybody know? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. Jesus came from the line. Bathsheba. And when you go to Matthew 1, you will see her there. In Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ, Solomon, whose mother doesn't list her name, but you know who Solomon's mom was, Bathsheba. The heart of the Father to redeem and restore, and to use even that broken story in his sovereignty is just. Remarkable. Uh, what I've loved about this series is the scarlet cord that comes through. Every story is a story about King Jesus. And we see that again and again and again. And David really wanted to build the house, the temple. Um, but there's, um, there was a judgment for, for David's life. And so Solomon gets to build the temple in Jerusalem, and there's a summary of that, it's, uh, 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 it is First Chronicles 22, uh, let me read these verses. So David says to Solomon, my son, I had it in my own heart to build a house, speaking of the temple, for the name of the Lord my God, but his word came to me, you have shed much blood and you have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace, speaking of Solomon, and rest, a son of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, and his name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So Solomon builds the temple. Scarlet cord, King Jesus. What happened at the temple? Sacrifices were brought to the temple daily, the priests would stand daily and offer sacrifices so that the people would be forgiven, so that their sins would be covered so they could have peace with God. And Solomon is called a man of peace. So Jesus, from the line of David, Bathsheba, Solomon, Paul says this, Ephesians 2, Jesus himself is our peace. So what is the new covenant message. Well, we don't need the old covenant sacrificial, sacrificial systems in the temple anymore because Jesus says, once for all sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 10, for all time and everyone, chosen nation is now chosen people. When we come under the blood of Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit and now the temple of God is in you and it is in me by the Holy Spirit. Every story whispers His name. Um, I'm going to move this into our lives and I am going to start preaching for the next few minutes. So here we go. God looks at the heart, not at outward appearance, not at outward behavior. This is how we lose our evaluations of one another and we find hope and rest and freedom in this house. As we stop evaluating each other by outward appearances and outward behavior, we stop doing that because we believe that it's the heart where God transforms our lives and our behavior follows And where so many people get hurt in the church is they come in and everybody is evaluating each other based on how strong of a Christian they are or how well they're doing with checking this box, that box, and the other box. And people get wounded and hurt and then they leave and they never come back. And we have a message today that is crystal clear, church about the heart of the father and if we want to be connected to the heart of the father we have to lose our evaluations of one another and we lose that and we embrace one another with gentleness and compassion and mercy and kindness because it's the kindness of god that leads people to true change repentance and we increase in love and we increase in mercy and, grace. and when our heart gets connected To the Father's heart We are empowered with real Transformation God looks at the heart Do not lose heart In your life David said Let no one lose heart On account of this Philistine Let no one lose heart When you look at Goliath When you look at that giant In your life Do not lose heart and there are going to be giants in your life. And when we look at them and we see the circumstance do not lose heart and I hope and pray and proclaim to you, I pray that you would have courage like David to go I will go and fight that giant. You are going to need to fight battles. We fight battles in our lives. Faith in God doesn't remove us from the fight. Faith in God empowers us in the fight. Are you here? Are you listening? It doesn't remove us. It just empowers us in it. We have to understand this and embrace this in our lives. Jesus, Last Supper, Thursday, before Good Friday Tells the disciples I would speak about this verse All the time John 16, Jesus tells the disciples In this world You are going to have Trouble It's going to be a battle You're going to have to fight Take heart Take heart in me I have overcome the world Which that's what I love About that David and Goliath story Like the Lord, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He fights our battles and we engage that with him. God looks at the heart. Do not lose heart. We need heart-to-heart connections in the fight of faith. It is so important. It is so essential for you to cultivate sisterhood and brotherhood or what I'm feeling And what I'm thinking on the inside is on the outside. That there is a relational integrity in me to connect with you in a relationship that is loyal and that is humble and that's both ways and we encourage one another and we help each other and we're in the fight together. We have to have these heart-to-heart connections in our lives. Do you think that David would have literally survived without Jonathan in his life? No. Literally or figuratively. Do you think for a moment that I could be here pastoring this church, standing on this stage, teaching God's word, leading this church, if I have not had Nathans and Jonathans in my life? There's no way. There's no way. We need each other. Isolation is the devil's playground. For lies and bondage. And I wish, I wish pastorally that I could just say, oh, here's your David, or here's your Jonathan, or here's your Nathan, just boom. I, and we're doing everything we can as a church to cultivate smaller communities for you to cultivate these kind of relationships in your life, but I can't give you these relationships. We can do what we can to cultivate an environment for those relationships to happen but you have to come to the table and be loyal and be humble and open your life up to somebody that you trust and listen trust is built over time right that's just how relationships are like blind trust is really really risky but if you will take the risk to build trust i promise you i promise you that if you'll engage that and you'll ask the Lord for it, I believe that God will give you these kind of heart-to-heart connections. All we need is one. All we need is one. I got a lot. I'm super blessed, super blessed. Um, I have a lot, and I want to encourage you in this way to find Jonathan's, Nathan's in your life. Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one, for if one falls... The other is there to lift him up. And we know that verse, and it's a powerful verse, but listen to what the next verse says. But woe to the one who is alone and has no one there to lift him up. It's a dangerous place to be. We need heart-to-heart connections in the fight of faith. Amen? I would say to you, if you already have that, maybe articulate that. Like, hey, I just want you to know, like, that message that Swain was preaching on Sunday, like, you heard it, I heard it, I see you that way in my life. Do you see me that way in your life? Like, I want that with you. Let's go there together. Are you in on that? Or to say, like, open up, be like, I I long for that, and I don't have that. And if I'm honest, I am isolated, and I'm lonely. Would you you pray with me about cultivating that kind of connection in my life? Because we need those connections. Lastly, how do we become men and women after God's own heart? We take our eyes off of ourselves, and we put our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we pursue him. We believe God. We trust God. Follow God. Call on his mercy and grace in our lives. And if we make mistakes, and we have made mistakes, and we do make mistakes, and we will make mistakes talk about the truth with God. Psalm 51, David talked about the truth about what was happening and what had happened in his life. And he also talked about the truth of the father's heart toward him. So we talk about the truth with God. And here's this, here's the big point. And we we do it where there's no fear and there's no shame. Hebrews 4:16 If you want to know what it looks like to be a woman or a man after God's own heart, believe this verse, believe this verse and operate in the freedom of this verse. Let us approach God, let us approach God, let us approach God, let us call upon God, let us come to God, let us talk with God, let us commune with God. Let us approach God with confidence, with confidence. Not with fear, not with anxiety, not beating ourselves up in shame, not being egotistical, but just humble before God. Approach Him with confidence. How? Because it's a throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help us in our time of need. Approach, approach, approach. Be confident. Take heart. Take confidence, take courage. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Jesus is tender with his judgment and he is aggressive with his mercy. Are you listening? Are you receiving? He is tender in his judgment and he is aggressive in his mercy. And his mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to me, oh God.